Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, please open them to uh, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. And then we're also going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Colossians chapter 2, we'll begin with verse 6. Paul says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with the thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, in Paul's last recorded letter to a young preacher named Timothy, he says to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then return with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, one verse there, verse 17. Paul says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we have worshiped you, and the worship has tuned our hearts toward you. And now, Lord, we've read your word, and we pray that your word will speak to the prepared hearts in this place. Lord, as we think about worldview, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to evaluate our own worldviews, See how they compare with a Christ view and open ourselves to you to make the needed changes to get us from where we are to where you are. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. In case you just joined us today, uh, this is the third Sunday in a series called 2020 Vision for 2020. And it's a sermon series about something we call worldview, which is not a a topic that we talk about an awful lot around the dinner table and so forth. But worldview is incredibly important, uh, and it is something that is so important that I wanted to kick off this new year with a whole set of uh, messages discussing the issue of worldview. Now, a worldview is the lens through which we see our world. 
put more specifically, a worldview, your worldview is the lens through which you not only see your world, but it is the lens through which, by which you interpret what you see. And what we see and how we interpret it also influences how we respond to different things. So uh, your worldview and everybody in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, has a worldview. The question is not whether we have a worldview. The ideal question is, how well does my worldview add up to Jesus' worldview? Because his worldview is the worldview that we need to set as our goal, the goal for the lens that is uh, the worldview of our lives. So the worldview is a lens through which we see and interpret our world. The second thing we've, we've uh, noticed here is that you can have a, uh, a, what we call a secular worldview, a purely secular worldview. And a purely secular worldview is one that excludes any supreme being. Therefore, it doesn't mention anything about God. And uh, sadly, a growing number of people in our world are subscribing to a secular worldview, one that does not include God, or if it includes God, it doesn't consider God to be important, certainly not important enough to allow him to, to govern and guide and, and be the, the, the priority in our lives. Now, the problem with a secular worldview for those of us who are Christians is, is this. A purely secular worldview is unacceptable because we who are Christians who follow Christ, we believe in God. Not only do we believe in God, but we believe that the God who exists is the God of the Bible, the God that we read about, the God we, we are introduced to in the pages of the Old and the New Testament. Now, this God in the Bible is not only the creator of the universe, but he has revealed himself to us most perfectly through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God who came to earth to die for our sins and to be raised again on the third day and to uh, make intercession for us right now in heaven. And he, he fills us when we trust him, he fills us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so the worldview that we as Christians should have is what I call a Christian worldview. By Christian worldview, I mean a worldview that, that, it, that is such that the lens through which we see our world would be the lens through which Jesus sees the world. So that we would see our world the way Jesus sees the world and, and, and he would be the primary lens for how we view and interpret our world. Now, a Christian worldview should obviously have certain elements that make it Christian. If I have a worldview and, and it doesn't involve Christ and I decide, hey, I want to receive Christ and I receive Christ as my Savior and suddenly I want to start looking at my world the way Jesus would look at my world, then that means that certain things in my life have to change. Certain things in my worldview need to be what I'm calling Christ-like. Jesus-centered. Now, the question then is, what, what are the basics of a Christian worldview? What does a Christian worldview look like? And over the next several weeks, one sermon at a time, we're going to talk about the different traits that make up a Christian worldview. 
the worldview that ought to impact everything we see, every way we understand our world, and every response we have to it. Now, so this morning, we're going to look at the first uh, element of a Christian worldview, and that element is that a Christian worldview must be a biblical worldview. That is, it must be based on Scripture. And so, if we have a Christian worldview that is also a biblical worldview, then we want to understand the Scriptures, and we want to meditate on the Scriptures, and then we want to view our world through the lens of the Bible. Now, this morning, I want to share with you four basics of a biblical worldview. Four basics of a biblical worldview. And as we look at these four basics, I want you to notice that each one of these basics will answer one of the questions that if you've been with me for the last couple of weeks, you know that a a Christian worldview or, or the worldview that we should adopt should address certain deep uh, theological and, fi- and uh, philosophical questions like why are, why is there something here rather than nothing here why are why are we here instead of nobody being here what what went wrong in our world to result in such violence and evil that is so rampant in our society today and has been uh, since uh, nearly the beginning of time what went wrong what is doing to solve what is going wrong You know, what is God doing? Has God done anything? Is he doing anything to resolve the evil and the violence that's in our world, the sin that's in our world? And then the final question, if you remember, was, how's this all going to end up? Is there any hope? Or is there just a a dark square at the end of the tunnel with gloom and doom? How's it going to end up? So four four deep questions. Why are we, we here as opposed to not being here? What went wrong? What is God doing to solve it? And how's this going to uh, end up? Well, these four basics of a biblical worldview address those four questions. So let's look at them. First off, if you want to uh, take notes on this, the first basic of a biblical worldview is this, that God created the universe, including humankind. It just starts that simply. God created the universe, including humankind. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created everything that is. That's the way the Bible begins. The Bible assumes the existence of of an eternal God in Genesis 1-1, and then it goes on to say that this eternal God created the universe and everything that is in it. So if the question is, why is there something instead of nothing? Why is there a universe as opposed to no universe? Why are we here as opposed to no people being here? The answer is, the answer is God created everything that is. And he created human beings. In fact, if you look back at the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, human beings were the the crown of God's creation. From the very get-go, we have been special. And, And even now, we are special. It is for you and me. It is for human beings that God sent his son out of heaven down to earth in order to die on the cross for us. So God created 
the universe, including humankind. In chapter Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So basic number one of biblical worldview, God created the universe, and including all human beings. And that answers the question, why is there something rather than nothing in our universe? The second basic of a biblical worldview is this. Human beings, acting totally out of their own free will, chose to disobey God, thus corrupting our world. That's the second thing that, a Bible, that the Bible generally teaches us. After God created us, we mess things up. And so you go to Genesis chapter 3, and you have the story of Adam and Eve. And as you know, God said to them, he says, I'm going to give you the Garden of Eden. Eden, which means paradise. They were married in paradise. They were living in paradise. But he says, there there are tons of trees, tons of fruit, a lot of stuff you have access to in this huge garden. But he says, there's only one tree whose fruit I do not want you to touch. I do not want you to eat it. And yet that was the one piece of fruit that Adam and Eve just had to have. I've noticed something about us and I've noticed it ever since I was a kid. I noticed it in my, my own kids growing up and now I noticed it in my grandkids as perfect as they are. You tell them one thing they're not to do and that becomes their one obsession. That becomes the one thing they want to do. So Adam and Eve took of the fruit that was prohibited from them to take, and, and, it, and it catapulted not only them but the human race into uh, a, a condition of sin. And so we see that in Genesis 3. But listen, uh, the, the, the initial sin of humankind not only plunged the human race into sin, but it, it corrupted the entire creation. How do you know that? The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. The Apostle Paul is talking about the impact of of that initial sin, and he says this. He says, as a result, the whole creation has been groaning as as if in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, to the time that he was writing. We could go on and say right up to our present time. Ever since the, the, the first human beings sinned in the paradise that God had created them, then sin entered the world and it corrupted not only the human race, but also the entire world. And our whole creation groans even to this moment, begging for relief. Now, so the first basic was God created the universe, not every human being. That answered, why is there something rather than nothing? The second basic is that human beings, out of our own free will, disobeyed God and corrupted our world. That answers the question, what went wrong? How, how, how did, did we come about to living in a world? Granted, we live in a wonderful world, but, but none of us can deny that our world has evil in it. Our world has violence in it. Our world has selfishness in it. Our world is so twisted up by sin, and it is all our doing. The third basic of a biblical worldview is this. Since human beings cannot save ourselves, God sent his son Jesus to serve as the example for how we are to live and to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his son to die for us. In Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, the apostle Paul says this. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the result of humankind sinning in the garden. But then verse 24 says this, but all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. For verse 25, for God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood and it is to be received by faith. The end of verse 25 says. So this third basic of a biblical uh, worldview says this, that God recognized the evil that was in the world and, and he loved us so much that he decided to do something about the evil that was in the world. And so he came to earth in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus lived perfectly. Jesus died on a cross that had your name and my name on it. He died in our place. He suffered our penalty. He paid the price for our freedom. And then, having been dead uh, all the way through Easter Sunday, the Bible says that he rose, God raised his son up from the dead. So, Jesus paid the price to solve our sin problem. So, the third major question that a worldview needs to ask is, not only what went wrong, but what is the solution? What is God doing to fix things? Because only God can do it. Because you and I, number one, we're too tainted by sin to even come up with a good plan to solve it. And even if we came up with a plan, we're too tainted by sin to put it into place. And that's all the way from the smallest, youngest child in the pew to the leaders who fill the offices as presidents or prime ministers of major countries. Nobody Nobody is smart enough. Nobody is godly enough. Nobody is wise enough to come up with a plan to solve anything. And so it had to be God. So what, it, what, what is the solution for our world? What is God doing? God looked down. He saw us and he sent his son to die for us. He raised him up from the dead to pay the penalty for our sin. You want your ticket to heaven? That's it. If, as Paul says, you receive Jesus by faith. What does that mean? Trust him. Trust him to save you. Trust him to give you eternal life. That's what it means. But that's only part of it. You see, I think that that's where too many of us Christians stop at this particular basic. Because we, we want to stop with Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. Jesus died on the cross so I could have a ticket to heaven. And we just stop right there. But there's more. Because not only did he pay the penalty of our sins, but Jesus serves as an example for how we should live. Did you hear me talking with Shelby earlier today when she was being baptized? I said, Shelby, imagine that you were alive and then you died and was buried. And sometime much later, God raised you back up. Would life be different? And she immediately said, yes. And you're right, Shelby. When you, if you're a Christian, the moment you gave your life to Christ, you died to sin. And God, through Jesus, raised you up to a new life. 
not just with a ticket to heaven, but he raised you up with a new life and you and I should be different people as a result. We should live differently. We should think differently. We should speak differently. We should act differently. Now, granted, sometimes all of us, even the best of us, are going to make mistakes. I'm not suggesting that we can be perfect. But let me tell you something. If Jesus is in your life, you overall, your life overall, ought to be different. In what way? People ought to be able to see Jesus in your life. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul quotes a song, an old song in the ancient church. And here's what he says. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, Jesus was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held on to, but instead made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The fourth basic of a biblical worldview is this. At a time of God's choosing, God will bring everything to a conclusion of God's choosing. At a time of God's choosing, God will bring everything to a conclusion of God's choosing. The fourth basic question that a worldview should answer was this. Where is this all headed? How's this going to end up? Is there any hope? Or is it all gloom and doom? How's it going to end up? Well, it ends up this way. God will end it up in a way that he chooses. And here's the good news. For those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior and Lord, regardless of what struggles we will go through now and regardless of what struggles we will go through between now and the time that we die or the Lord takes us home, here's, here's the, the good news. In the last chapter God wins and everybody who has placed their faith in Christ wins along with God. In Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian church, chapter 4, verse 16, he sums it up. He sums this basic up. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The four basics of a biblical worldview. God created us. We messed up. When we messed up, it messed everything up. God sent Jesus to be the ultimate solution when he died on the cross and rose from the dead to give us life and call us to follow him as our example for living. And then in the end, God will bring history to God's own conclusion. Those are the four basics of a biblical worldview. Now, here's my question for you. What is your worldview? And how does it stand up to a Christian worldview? How does it stand up to a biblical worldview? Do you acknowledge there's a God who created us? Do you acknowledge that 
not only the first human beings, but we ourselves as human beings have sinned and messed up our own lives? Do you acknowledge that God is the only answer and he, his only answer came through Jesus Christ? And do you believe that there's hope? Do you believe that in the end, God will bring everything to a good conclusion for those of us who are in Christ? That's the gospel. That's the gospel message. Now, some of you are probably thinking, okay, you said, Jimmy, you gave us four basics to a biblical worldview. There must be more to a biblical worldview than that. And you'd be right, there is. However, when we insist on going beyond those basics, we start getting into individual verses and individual passages, passages where we, we, we have our favorites. We like this verse, we don't like that verse, and we start getting into arguments and disagreements over interpretations of various passages. And what you have is when you go beyond the four basics of a biblical worldview, you start having folks split up from each other. In fact, did you know that 2,000 years ago, there was only one group of churches? There wasn't Catholic and Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian and Episcopalian and all that. There wasn't, that was just the church, the way. That was 2,000 years ago. But people started saying, oh, the the basics of a biblical worldview aren't enough. We got to agree on, we got to insist that we agree on some minutiae. And all of a sudden there was two denominations and then there were three and then there were four. You know how many denominations there are in the world right now? I'm talking about Christian denominations. 38,000 and the number is growing. You know why? Because people are fighting over issues beyond the basics of a biblical worldview. Let me tell you something. Some people say, hey, you don't have a biblical worldview unless you believe the way I do about the end of time. Mm, that's not true. Somebody said, oh, you can't believe, you don't have a biblical worldview unless you, you believe in the meaning of baptism and the Lord's Supper the way I do. Nope. That's not right. Somebody said, well, you can't have a biblical worldview unless you believe that the, the creation was, was, was uh, created in a certain amount of time. Actually, God is not going to ask you that question when you stand before him. I'm not saying those things are not important, but I'm saying here's what's most important. God created us. We messed up. Jesus died to save us. And if we trust him by faith, the end is going to be good. Amen. Beyond that, you're just picking a fight. Let's just stick with the basics. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for creating us. Thank you for letting us exist as opposed to not existing. Thank you for letting us enjoy family and friends and kids and grandkids and baptisms and thank you for not giving up on us when we messed up and we continue messing up. We're experts at messing up.
Thank you for sending your son to die for us when we didn't deserve it. And thank you for the promise that there's a good ending insight for those of us who love you. Lord, as we go to this invitation, maybe there's someone here who doesn't know you. They haven't received you as their Savior and their Lord. Lord, I pray that they would step out. Lord, I want to pray with them as they talk to you and ask you to come into their lives. Let this be a good day for somebody to be saved. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.